The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Joshua Venee. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's let's pray before we uh, read God's Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look uh, into your scriptures, we pray that uh, you will uh, feed us there, that you will apply it to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, and uh, that you will continue uh, to uh, um, put your hope before us, uh, that hope of of heaven and that great time when we will be made perfect when the sin in this life will no longer cling to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open with me to Proverbs chapter 26, verses 1 through 12. Proverbs chapter 26, 1 through 12. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The book of Proverbs instructs us on how to live in this world and how to do it well so that we avoid hardship and misery, things that are bad as much as possible, and that we experience blessing and prosperity, things that are good, again, as much as possible. And all of this instruction, if we looked back at the beginning, is rooted in that ultimate good, the fear of the Lord. And as we go about our lives, we meet and we live among a lot of different people. Part of knowing how to live well is to know how to interact with all those different kinds of people. Proverbs 26, 1 through 12, if you noticed as we read through, is focusing on fools. People who have embraced ways of living that lead, in some way, to misery and hardship. And the book of Proverbs wants to warn us and to teach us on how to interact with them. Otherwise, we in our lives will be affected by their foolish ways. 
And as we'll see, it also calls us to examine ourselves. Now, as we think of that, I want you to remember one thing before we look more closely at our text. Foolishness is not exactly the same thing as sin. Uh, Sin is certainly being foolish, but not all foolishness is necessarily sinful. And I think that distinction is important as we look at this passage, because we don't just substitute sinner for fool as we read through it. People are foolish in different ways, although sin is that ultimate folly. Now, our text can be divided into three parts here. And uh, verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 10 go together and really talk about honor and fools. Then in the middle of those is verses 4 and 5, much talked about, how to answer fools or not to answer fools. And then uh, we get the conclusion there, 11 and 12, uh, that we'll call hope for fools. And that first section, we get in 1 through 3 the basic premise for this part. Fools should not be honored, but disciplined. And we find that in verse 1. It says what's not appropriate. When is it supposed to snow? We all know that. In the winter. Uh, In the winter, of course. When is it supposed to rain? Well, that might be a little harder for us, but for Israel, the rainy season was when the crops were growing. Uh, During the harvest, rain could be very damaging. Uh, And so we get those two images, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, these things out of place, so honor is not fitting for a fool. What is appropriate for a fool? Well, that's what we get in verse 3. Do you try to reason with a horse or a donkey? Ask them to go the right way. Uh, No, you use this bridle or this whip. And it says that fools are similar. They only respond to discipline. And so we see there a whip for a horse, a bridle for a donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. This rod, we find it often of disciplining children, but it can also be for disciplining adults. They need punishment. They need that stern correction. That is what is appropriate for fools. And verse 2 in between there is maybe one of the more difficult in here. It's the one verse that doesn't mention fools. I think the best way to think of it is if that discipline is appropriate for fools, those who are not Uh, deserving of such correction, just like a sparrow and that swallow flying around, that discipline doesn't find them. A curse that is causeless does not alight. So you have in 1 through 3, though, this first statement. Honor is not appropriate. Discipline is what is needed. And then in 6 through 10, it's fleshed out. We're given examples of this. And 
as you note, verse 8, right in the middle of that, ties us back with verse 1. Look at the ending. One who gives honor to a fool. Honor to fool that we had in verse 1. And around it, um, we, we have uh, also similar statings. Um, and you see verses 7 and 9 both end with the proverb in the, in the mouth of the fool. And so we have this structure roundabout verse 8 there. Uh, and so if we, if we look at what we have here, we see that this point is very much the same. Giving honor to a fool will not lead to success. Instead, it will lead to disaster. And, uh, and so verse 8 says that most clearly. One who binds a stone in a sling is one who gives honor to a fool. A sling in Old Testament Israel was uh, um, a long strap with a pouch in the middle that you swung around and then released one side. Well, think if you tied the stone into the middle of that. It's not going to do what it's supposed to do. Instead, you'll keep swinging and eventually you'll probably lose your grip and it'll fly out and hit you or others round about. That is what it is to give honor to a fool. And verses 6 and 10 give very similar imagery of when you allow a fool to be in your employment, when you allow a fool to watch over your livelihood. It will not lead to success. Instead, it will be dangerous. Um, uh, verse 6, what is a messenger? It's as if you're hiring another set of legs for yourself, but if you have a fool, it's as if you're cutting off your own and drinking poison. They will not fulfill their duties, and it will be hardship for you. And verse 10 is similar. What's an archer supposed to do? Shoot down the bad guys, or whatever uh, it's, uh, um, the aim is. But if you are hiring fools, it's as if that archer is just shooting at random everywhere. It's not only not going to lead to the outcome you want, it's going to end up hurting and harming all those round about. Verses 7 and 9 that come in there talk about fools and proverbs, and I think what we can see there is what happens when you have fools in positions of authority, especially teaching. They not only don't provide any good, they can provide, um, they can do a lot of harm. Uh, so verse 7 Somebody who cannot walk, a, lot, a lame man, his legs just hang useless. They don't do, in many ways, what they're supposed to do. And so a proverb in the mouth of the fools is similar. It's not going to accomplish what that proverb was given for. The fool won't know what to do with it, either applying it to himself, or since it's in his mouth, as he teaches it, speaks of it to others. Uh, verse 9 gets at something similar, only here the image now gets more dangerous. And I think the imagery is, is that of a, a drunkard with some sharp pointy object, 
as he's wheeling around and swinging it. It's no longer that uh, it just won't accomplish good. Now you want to make sure you get out of his way. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is a very dangerous thing. And as we think of that one, I can't help but uh, think of Job's three friends. They had their proverb that suffering comes from being sinful. And they beat Job up with it again and again and again. And God eventually rebukes them for that folly. So as we think of these verses, they call us to be very careful. Know with whom you are dealing. Know their tendencies. Know their weaknesses. Be discerning about who you employ, who you place in positions of authority or give a right to teach. Honor is something that needs to be earned, that someone is given because they've shown that they can be trusted, that they have a reason, that there's a reason to put your faith in them. And this applies in general. We see it in the church, we see it in society at large. And so in many ways we could say the Apostle Paul is applying this principle as he talks about the qualifications of elders and deacons. He says, look at how they are in their personal lives. How have they dealt with the authority they were given over their families? Have they used that in wisdom? And if so, then they're fitting for greater honor in the church. And as we think of our culture, it very often chooses to honor fools, especially as we think of our heroes in sports or the entertainment world. They may have that great voice, be able to throw a ball well, but they don't show such skill at living in the rest of their lives. And so we must not be dazzled by their outward success, but look past that. Where do their lives really lead? And so that takes us then to verses 4 and 5. Much discussed because they seem to contradict each other. Don't answer a fool or answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it? Which one are we to follow? And some have tried to lessen this by arguing that according to his folly could be taken in two different ways and should be here. You don't answer a fool in the same manner as his folly because that brings you down to his level. If he's insulting you, you don't return those insults. If he's angry, you don't respond in anger. But you should answer a fool according to the subject of his folly. What error is he committing? Answer him, rebuke him even, so that he will see the error of his thoughts and not be right in his own eyes. And while I think there's some truth and wisdom there, I don't think that's what this is getting at, uh, what these verses are about. Uh, we need to know, should we answer the foolish questions that a fool asks? Should you respond 
to his foolish statements? And what we find here is the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. It depends. But I think we can say a little bit more than that. And notice what is different between these two. It's the results that it focuses on. Verse 4, you're supposed to answer lest, um, or answer not, not answer, lest you be like him yourself. And verse 5, why are you to answer, lest he be wise in his own eyes? Uh, so that first one, verse 4, you becoming like him, you, uh, you can think back to when you were kids and your brother and sister were arguing with you. Did that usually accomplish anything? Did that lead to great results? Um, unless you're different from me, uh, it usually didn't. Right? You all ended up mad and angry and all looking like fools. It would have been better if you were quiet. The problem is many adults don't grow out of that stage. They still like to just argue. Uh, and, uh, and they like to get you into that argument. Uh, they like to get you in to a pointless discussion. It's not going anywhere. It's not accomplishing anything. It's argument for the sake of argument. And you, if you jump into that, you end up looking like a fool, as it says here. And we see other Proverbs that deal with that. Uh, Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Uh, Proverbs 23.9, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 29.9, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Uh, and so we see how this is developed elsewhere in the book of Proverbs. But verse 5 then focuses on a different result. The result for the fool. It says that the fool, and probably also thinking those round about him, what is the danger if you don't answer? They might be confirmed in their folly. They might become right in their own eyes, and others around them might also be that way. Silence can be taken as assent, and the opportunity is lost to rebuke an erring soul. There's also Proverbs that speak of this. Proverbs 25, 26 says, Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. They're called to stand up. Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. In Proverbs 28, 23, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So there is this call to rebuke the fool. So how do you know when to do this? When to answer, when not to answer? And that's very much this nature of wisdom. It depends on the fool. It depends on the situation. 
But I would add, it also depends on you. It also depends on you. We should only answer a fool when it's out of genuine concern for them or others round about. As we said, that we're concerned that that second result will come about. They will be concerned in their folly. If you're answering them because you want to prove yourself right, to show your own skills at argumentation, that's when that first result will come, in, will come about. You will end up looking like a fool. And so as you think back again when you were kids arguing with your brother and sister, were you arguing with them because you loved them and wanted what was best for them? Again, unless you're different from me, that's not true. You wanted to prove that you were right and they were wrong. And that's why you entered into that argument. And that's why it ended up in frustration and looking like foolishness. The question is, how different are you now? Do you like to engage in discussion for just the sake of discussion? How often are you just looking for a fight? Or are you more worried about the other person you're discussing with their good than being right? And I think this can be a temptation for seminarians. You have all this new knowledge. It's like shiny new toys that you just want to take out and play with. And so whoever is going to give you that opportunity to discuss and argue, you're going to jump at it with gusto, wisely or not. It's our job to set all those fools straight, is it not? And so what do we need to do? We need to pause before we answer. We need to examine our motivations. You must guard yourself lest you argue in order to prove yourself right, for then you will end up the fool. So the decision to answer a fool or not, as we said, depends on this fool, the situation, even yourself. Even if your motivations are proper, you need to ask what are the chances that there's a positive outcome? Is it wasted breath, or is there a real possibility of turning an erring soul from harm? These Proverbs show that there's a danger in doing it, but they also show that love, your love of the fool, should sometimes trump that danger. And so we could give an obvious example where you should be quiet. You get in an argument with somebody who's drunk. No. They won't remember it. They, uh, they won't be rational as they're going through it. And so that's a good time to not answer the fool. But an example of answering the fool, I would argue, comes from Paul. In, second, in the second letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians, they had been persuaded to follow some other leaders because they seemed to have all these great qualifications beyond those of Paul. They were these super apostles who boasted of all they had done. So what does Paul do? Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 through 10, 12 
tells them that he will speak as a fool to convince the Corinthians of his authority. He knows it's foolishness to boast of anything but Christ. But he wants, right? He yearns his love for them. He wants to convince them of his authority so that they won't be led astray by these others' self-promoting leaders. Because of his love and his concern, he is answering their foolish statements. So we come then to our last section, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 is a summary in in many ways on this nature of a fool. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Fools don't learn from their folly. They go back to it. They don't learn from what leads to hardship and misery, but do it again. I have now had a dog in my family for about a year and a half. I now understand why we call things a dog pile. Whenever I'm playing with my kids, the dog is right on top of us. I now also understand this proverb better. I have seen the gagging start, the body start to convulse. I now know to pick her up and move her off of the carpet. Uh, And then she ends up puking whatever's in there. And almost as soon as it's out on the ground, she's licking it back up. And I turn away. Ugh. Now... Why do we need to be that disgusting? Well, that's what this proverb is supposed to do. It's tying into that disgust that we feel. It's eating a vomit. That's what he wants us to associate with this fool. He does something harmful, even sinful, and instead of learning, does it again and again. And it's at this point that the writer of Proverbs, I would say, smacks us upside the head. As we have that before us, we're thinking of this poor fool, wretched, disgusting, this one eating, in a sense, their own vomit. We read verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The book of Proverbs wasn't given so that we, the wise, the already wise, could pat ourselves on the back, congratulate as we think of this fool before us. No, it was given because we are all foolish to some degree. It calls upon the simple, the naive, the scoffer, and even the fool to listen and to become wise. And those who are already wise to grow in their wisdom. There are those out in the world whose foolishness we are being warned about, how to avoid being caught in their folly. But may we never stop evaluating the folly in our own thinking, our own actions, our own hearts. The minute you think you are wise, that is when you become even worse than a fool. Someone wise in his own eyes can no longer see his own folly. He's become blinded to it, refuses to acknowledge it. He does not listen to correction or advice because, of course, he knows better. He has become proud instead of humble. As Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, 
A man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. There is more hope to correct a fool than someone wise in his own eyes. And we should see here this connection back with verse 5. Answering a fool, the reason to answer that fool was to keep him from this, this hardened form, from being prideful, wise in his own eyes. And so as we think of that, we think of this description of the fool, and we need to examine ourselves in light of it. Are you worthy of honor? Are you a reliable worker, a trustworthy counselor, a role model worthy of admiration? We must acknowledge our failings on many levels. Also, sometimes we're the fool that needs to be corrected. And how do you respond to that rebuke? How do you take that correction? Do you rage and laugh, as it says the fool does, give vent to your emotions, or do you in humility see the error of your ways? Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And so, as we think of that and we remember that that greatest folly is our sin, we see Verse 11 again, that we too all often are like that dog. We should disgust ourselves as we see again and again falling into patterns of sin. And as we reflect, we need to see that verse 12 also has a comfort. There is a hope for fools. But it comes not from ourselves. Instead, as we said, the book of Proverbs starts out with what? It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What do we need to do? We need to turn in repentance and faith to the one who can give us life and to the one who can make us wise. It's by God's grace and through his spirit that we can begin to see the fruit of the new life that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we always look into your word as this mirror that shows us, shows us our sin and also shows us the folly in many ways that we have. And may we turn to you, knowing that you are the one who has given his only son so that we may have life through him and has sent his spirit into us to continue this process of renewal. And so we pray each and every day we look to you for your new mercies. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.